From WERA 96.7 in Arlington, this is Formative Tracks, the show where we sit down with D.C. area musicians to talk about the top five songs that made them who they are. I'm Eliza Burkhan. Today we have Dave Mole in the studio. Uh, he's a member of post-punky pop rock outfit Mystery Friends. Welcome, Dave. Hi. So tell us a little bit about Mystery Friends, starting with the name. So the name, um, for better or worse, was actually from a random name generator. <gasps> we were having, no. yeah, <laughs> we were having a lot of trouble in the early days coming up with a name we would all agree on that wasn't cheesy, that wasn't, I don't know, cliche or something. Mm-hmm. And um, it was better than the shrug emoji, which is pretty hard to search for. And the, so, wait, wait, you the know what? the you know the shrug emoji with like no. Japanese characters. You've seen no. it with like the angled hands and stuff. You've surely seen this. Okay. Maybe I've seen it, you but don't know. It. Okay, okay. It's like a very funny, like the guy kind of has like a cockeyed face and just like looks kind of confused. It's okay. good. Okay. That's worth looking up. Okay. So we look, we, um, but that wasn't going to work. And so we decided on, <laughs> there was a hipster band name generator from Slate or something like that. And so we found a lot of ones that were funny, but this one actually was like good enough to play around with. And it went from a joke to actually the name and we just stuck with it. And nobody else was called Mystery Friends anywhere. That's, I mean, that's always the hardest part. Like you come up yeah. with something, you're like, this is great, but now I have to Google the yes. heck out of it to make sure that's not already taken. Yes. We've gotten a few weird Google alerts because it'll be like, that's the Mystery Friends or whatever. A lot of like true crime things, which is not oh. helpful, but, um, or like references to the show Friends. But for the most part, <laughs> <laughs> for the most part, it's been a pretty, uh, you know, uniform name for us. So. Okay. And are the members, did the members of the band start as friends? Usually not. They usually um, so that's also I guess Craigslist like, or like, how, how'd you guys meet? That We kind of retrofit the band circumstance to fit the name um, because me and the bass player, Robbie, and the former guitarist who has since moved to California, we're all friends um, in DZ, did not play music together, just like hung out. And then when we started this band, we started saying, oh, we're, gonna, we're in this band. Our friends like, okay, yeah, you're in a band. And it was kind of like, who are these mystery friends you're in a band with? Oh, people don't believe you. Yeah, and then until we started playing shows, it was like this amorphous idea that we were just like, you know, oh, we're really doing this. Like, okay, that's fun. Right. So I think that plus we didn't know Abby or Greg, who since moved in a little after the band started. So they really were mystery people. Okay, and Abby's like the lead vocalist. Yes. And Greg is the drummer. Is the drummer. Okay. And initially we had a different drummer who was Robbie's high school friend, helped us record and all this stuff. And when he we knew he was moving in a couple months after, so he was kinda like the guy who gave us the boost on the scooter to like get us started. Mm-hmm. But then we knew he was leaving, so we had to kind of find an actual drummer once he left. So okay. it made us kind of search for people who were mystery friends. Okay. Um are you all friends now? We are all friends now. Okay, that's so good. Far. That's good. Um and how long has the band been together? I would say it formed like officially in 2016 and kind of took shape um, late 2016. Okay. Um, and have you talk, – talk about your albums thus far. So we started off with a few – well, initially we recorded literally in a garage. So it was like a garage band in the truest sense of the word. And nice. the, the original drummer was a kind of a like trying to get his – uh, feels on how to be a producer or, or engineer. So he also like we where was like a win win situation where he would record us and we didn't know what we were doing. And so we recorded a couple of tracks, put them on SoundCloud, which I don't think anybody does anymore. But we did. And people still use SoundCloud. They, yeah, I feel like it was it was almost like bankrupt, right? Didn't it go through this whole thing? Uh, maybe, but pe- I mean, people still use it. I mean, I think Bandcamp is getting more popular with yeah. DC bands and SoundCloud. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so we put a couple of tracks on SoundCloud. Um, it, that didn't come out until 2017, but that became our EP, our five-song EP, which we titled "This Is Not What I Expected," which is fun. <laughs> <laughs> which you can take any way you want. Oh, how, how did you guys? <laughs> well, so mean it started it? off. the The name behind the EP was that when I was at a show in DC years before the band for a band name that I can't say on public radio, um, but it ends with the word buttons. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> look that. Yeah, look it's that a, up at it's home like later. a dancey noise band. Okay. Um, F buttons. Right? Okay. Okay. So they're good. Anyway, so I'm at U Street Musical, and it was really loud, like maybe the loudest show I've ever seen in my life. And me and the other guitarist, Danny, at the time, oh, were there, and we went to the bar. We saw somebody written on a napkin. This is so loud. I can't believe how loud this is. This is not what I expected. We should leave. And so I, I like took a picture because it was so funny. This is not what I expected. Written on a napkin, and that became the album art for our. So we rewrote it to make it a little, you know, like finer print. But that was like a. And then it can be, you know, this is not what I expected. Good. Like, the band is good. We're happy. Mm-hmm. Not what I expected. Bad. Too loud. Mm-hmm. Not good. So, you know. I like it. There's a lot of mystery there, yeah. too. And it came out in 2017, which I think was uh, fair enough to say not what we expected. So, right. you know, you can do it as, as however you want to do it. It has a lot of, uh, it's open for interpretation. Yeah. Okay. Um. So let's talk about See Right Through, a song that's off your new album. Yes. Um. So that seems to sort of blend blend punk elements with a little bit of like a spacey synth yes. sound. So yes. is that like how would you kind of sum up your sound? Is that I think that's pretty right. I mean, I think it takes elements of kind of new wave or post-punk yeah. um mixed with like synth pop um to try to make it so it's not necessarily that sometimes post-punk can be a little bit on the like um intentionally aggressive or jarring side, you know. And so I think we take the borrowed elements maybe more in the talking heads Mm-hmm. version of, of post-punk and less of the like pill or wire post-punk um and try to make it so that it blends like a prettier vocal which abby brings to like a jangly driving instrumentation yeah and, and what's the story behind the song like uh lyrically so lyrically this is actually um the name of the song itself is actually a reference to a dc band um flasher which okay. i really like a lot um mm-hmm. and they were one of the first bands i really discovered when I was kind of getting into DC music, when I when this whole thing started, and there's a line in their EP where he talks about saying "see right through," and I think that their style is also kind of um, a, a sort of aesthetically pleasing post-punk, you might say, or something like that. And so I think I found that to be a really helpful um, like style to draw from, or you know, use as a as a as a guide. And so even though it wasn't you know, like a cover or anything. I thought it was a nice way to have an homage. I thought when I was singing about that song when I was writing the music for this one. Got it. Well, let's hear a little of See Right Through.
So you also did a collaboration with friend of the show, Color Palette. <laughs> yes. On the song Low. That's so right. tell me about how that transpired and how their vibe kind of gelled with your vibe, if, yeah. if it did. It did. And I think um, we are actually planning to contribute, collaborate more tracks, too, because we like the process enough. But um, it started because originally we were going to play our release show with Color Palette. And Jay injured his foot really badly and ended up not being able to stand on stage for months. Oh. It was like a whole thing. And when so was this? This was in... Uh, so the release show was in June 1st, and he and he hurt himself, I think, in like the, the winter. And so it was unfortunately had to like change course and change bands. But the idea originally was, well, look, we have this, we have the setup, we have these cool bands. Why don't we like play? Why don't we collaborate? See if they want to do it, and we could play it together at the show. It'd be really fun. That was kind of the the simple reason to start. I was like, okay. well, and plus they they are like really cool synth vibes that I think are at least a cousin to what we're doing. And so they might have a little bit more synth, a little less of the like punky drum element, but you know, definitely friendly sounds. So we thought it would make sense. So what we did is we took a starter track also, and I sent it to Jay saying, hey, like, you know, you're a synth wizard, like want to mess with this, see if you can ending on top or have any ideas. So he added some other synths, added a guitar part, and we just kind of went back and forth. And um, it was it was really surprisingly easy to mesh it all together. And we've actually exchanged a couple tracks since then to, to work on together. Maybe even do a split EP we've talked about. So. Ooh. Yeah. That would be fun. Yeah. Um, okay, let's hear a little of that song, Low.
Tell me a little bit about you as a musician. Okay, so I'm assuming you weren't just sort of walking down the street having never played music and suddenly in 2016 you decided you were going to join a band. That's true, although actually I had kind of a pretty serious hiatus of music. So when I was growing up, I'm from St. Louis, and I grew up in the Midwest till I was 25, um, finished law school and moved here. And I'd played in what I would, I guess I would um, generously call experimental bands when I was growing up. Um, okay. <laughs> like, that was probably a little bit... Like, didn't sound good, therefore like, we're calling it experimental? I, I think they were. it was bands that were a little too interested in being interesting and less interested in being good. Okay. Um, so I was... I didn't really play anything besides piano until I was, like, 18, and I wasn't even that good at the piano. And then um, I got my first, like, kind of okay synthesizer around that time, and it was fun to just play around with knobs. I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, and I also learned guitar just kind of, like, playing around. So I, I never really took lessons on guitar just kind of learned playing that way but because i never took lessons i'm only good at a certain kind of guitar and not like by no sense of the word am i classically good at guitar like, okay. i'm not a technically good musician but i found a way to be good at a certain kind of thing that i do and so the songs probably have to go around that because that's the only way it sounds right <laughs> so um the music that we've been playing i think draws from that stuff so the old days uh, the music i was playing on we would call ourselves free rock which was like free jazz but with yeah. guitars almost like you know like Glenn Bronca yeah so it was like it would be like detuned atonal trying to be like you know you know whatever Deep. yeah whatever okay. and then we also had tried to do something like math rock but none of us were good musicians to be able to play in those kind of time signatures but it was a informative experience and so I also learned about like the noise scene which is a whole other world and mm-hmm. so that was all when I was like 18 and so coming here and I didn't really play music from about the ages of 20 to 28, 29. At all? I played here and there with a guitar. I would have, you know, play with a guitar pedal loops and stuff, but not in a band. And I pretty much uh, was, it would be like a, every once in a while I'll play with my guitar and like mess with that delay pedal, but it mm-hmm. was not a regular thing. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of rediscovered like, oh man, I really missed that. And I don't think I realized how much I miss playing music, especially and in a band until later. What was that breakthrough moment? Um, it's actually, well, it'll be in <laughs> one of the songs um, actually on the list of five talks a little bit about that. Oh, so, well, yeah. we're going to... We're yeah. going to save that for later. Yeah. But I met some, I, I the short preview story is that I talked to somebody um, who was a contemporary, like the same age, four years ago, and he was in a band, just made a record, and I and I was talking to him about all the stuff he was doing, and influences, and the recording process, and it was one of those, like, wow, like, what am I doing? I could have been making music. Why am I, like, waiting if I want to do this? And it was one of those, like, I should really do this if I want to do this, and it really sparked me to explore that option, and, you know, it, it put everything in motion pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no time like the present. There's no time like the present. Right. Okay, so let's get to your top five. You started with a well-known jazz tune, Duke Ellington's Sea Jam Blues. Yes. Um, but you chose the Oscar Peterson recording. That's right. Which you said you first heard when you were 13. Yep. And had been playing, I assume, you know, a little Mozart, a little Beethoven, and all of yeah. a sudden we're like, what is this? Yeah. I mean, what actually, what really happened there was I was playing piano. I think I'd taken piano lessons for like two years. I was fine. Like, I could read the music okay. And it was one of those, like, you know, lesson two B books, lesson two C, and advance to lesson three if you're good enough. You know, it was one of those typical, like, parts of Beethoven and then the... And it was fine. And I was kind of getting tired of it. And I think it was pretty clear between me and the piano teacher this was not, like, a forever instrument for me and I think he sensed that I was not excited by these books and so he was like well let me let me show you something and my parents were not like jazz people I'd, I'd heard jazz but we were not like ripping kind of blue on Sunday mornings or anything as a kid mm-hmm. and so I'd heard this music and it was the Oscar Peterson version of Sea Jam and I was like whoa what is this like it was so different it was so fast it was so jangly it was mostly improvised um, 
it was just so much sound for three people and it was such a different experience that it kind of was like wow I didn't even know that that was a thing on piano and it kind of changed my whole orientation about how I wanted to play or listen to music at that point so did you think okay I want to become a jazz pianist or did you think I don't know exactly what I want to do but I realized there's a lot of things I could be doing I think kind of both I mean I think initially I I don't think I'm good enough at at piano to be a jazz pianist probably like I'm okay I can do the improvisational thing but I'm not like a virtuoso or anything so I think I I, it was really helpful to learn how to improvise and play more by ear which is kind of what I was good at in the first place um why I learned I only took it to piano lessons because I had played the Mission Impossible theme on a Casio keyboard (laughs) by ear and my parents like oh maybe he has something there so (laughs) so (laughs) I'm just picturing like a little small child pecking where like do, 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 do. That's exactly what yeah. it was. Yeah. My sister had this Casio keyboard. She's eight years older than me and she had never played it, I don't think, the entire childhood. So this was just sitting in our basement and I was playing with it unprompted. And I think that led to piano lessons. But I kind of went back to my roots of being good at playing by ear and not being very good at reading music, which I still can't do. So. Well, Mission Impossible is sort of more fun to play for the average kid than Beethoven anyway. Yes. That and like the Beverly Hills Cop theme were more <laughs> similar. Got it. So... You kind of thought about jazz piano, maybe, but mm-hmm. just more broadly, like there's a whole world out there of yes. music that I could be participating in yeah. besides classical piano. Yeah. And no think, disrespect to classical piano. None at all. And yeah. it's like, a, it was more like a, I think I realized that I could also play to the strengths that I had and not feel like I was having to learn these books of music that I didn't like. You know, mm-hmm. it was a way to like, because I also really enjoyed the sound of the music. And so I was like, oh, I really like this music. Maybe I should try to play the stuff I like and not just, you know, follow Lesson 7. So. Right. Your second song is Everything in Its Right Place by Radiohead. Yes. Which uh, was on the album that followed OK Computer. Yes. And sort of after Tom York's kind of like mental breakdown. Yeah, and... Kid A. <laughs> yes. So, um, but you said you didn't like the song when you first heard it. You came to like it. Is that right? Yeah, I don't think I got it. I, I, okay. I don't understand. So I this came out when I was probably around the same time that I heard that jazz song for the first time. Um, like around 13 probably. And my really good friend's sister who was in college at this point was like a big radiohead person and was trying to push this exciting new music on these dumb 13 year old boys and this was just come out and it was you know i think pretty polarizing for people who liked radiohead too because if you liked the okay computer mm-hmm. rock and stuff this was like a okay so a departure yeah so i heard this and i was like is this like is the vocals wrong it sounded it sounded like the tape was messed up or you know it just didn't sound right maybe yeah. maybe it's just it's a mistake <laughs> so i think i since realized that oh no that was all very intentional and all these glitches and warps and things were you know parts of the parts of the music and i think i've come to realize there's something like really cool about taking a voice and making that an instrument mm-hmm. you know like the way tommy works voice um moves around and swirls and kind of you know glitches around acts like a percussion almost and it's that was not something i'd heard before i didn't get it but now i think you know you hear it a lot more now too like bonnie bear and stuff does that kind of thing Mm but um, it was really novel and that mixed with these sort of haunting synths and the thing i also like about that track is there's like this pulsing kick beat but you don't hear the kick so the whole time the bpm is pretty fast like don't 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 but you don't hear a drum beat almost the whole song so the whole time you're implying this drum beat in the background Mm. but it's these woozy synths that hold over it with nothing actually kicking under them. So it's kind of a cool song that your brain does some of the work for you. So your third selection was uh, Talking Heads, Cross-Eyed, and Painless. Yes. Which you called incredibly danceable and weird. Yes. I'd say there there are a few bands that are more informative and important to me than Talking Heads. I'd say like Talking Heads, David Bowie, and probably LCD Sound System, which are all kind of in the same family lineage, you know? Um, that danceable and weird is 
Like, I don't know what else you could ask for in music. That's that's it for me, right? It's like something that makes you... The rhythm drives everything. In talk, so much of talking heads, not everything, but almost every talking head song, the rhythm is center-focused. But then it allows lyrics but anything, and the upbeat tempo kind of creates a foundation that no matter what you can do, you're not... It doesn't feel preachy or boring, but then you, it allows the artist a flexibility to like explore everything. And then you can have weird vocals and guitars that sound like screeching cats and everything, and it all fits over this driving drum and bass beat, and it's all um, it kind of centers the whole thing. And then it really lets you explore around it, which is great. So I often think that musicians or people in general um, either attach themselves to the lyrics of a song first or everything else. Yeah first and you strike me as someone who like you hear that everything else first and the lyrics are sort of secondary i think that's right yeah yeah, yeah. just because uh um i agree with you that a danceable and weird song is aspirational but you know every now and then you need that like that that, that gloomy ballad that oh no just, doubt yeah that yeah like speaks to your cuts to the core but even those i mean sometimes it's it's like those opening notes on the yeah. guitar that are what gets yeah, you for sure even before the person who cares what they're actually singing about yeah yeah and that's right and i mean you know honestly the the maybe i'm drawn to that because that's like the the place i'm in right now where i want the weird and danceable but i think that you could have found like 16 year old moody or me who really like wanted to listen to bright eyes or something mm-hmm. which is not most challenging musically but you know for a time and place it creates whatever you're looking for you know i think that there are those kinds of moodier lyrics and expressiveness um it really depends on what you're looking for at a song at any given time and place right so maybe right now you want to yeah hear maybe in 10 years i'm going to be really sick of or in 10 lyrics. minutes or in 10 you know, minutes yeah that's exactly right it's malleable life is fleeting yes <laughs> okay and you have a song on your new album Actually not. It's actually one of these weird uh, like orphans between the EP and Singles? the album. Yeah, we'll call it a single. That's better than orphan. Okay, so but it's a single that never also appeared in albums that were not. That's right. We recorded okay. for reasons that aren't worth exploring on this podcast. We recorded three different <laughs> times over a course of a long time, and this was in the boring. Middle. Yeah. <laughs> so we recorded this in this like kind of weird dead space between the EP and the album that didn't. We didn't want to wait to hold on forever, and we also like probably would have recorded it differently so we're like you know what? let's just let this be the thing that it is and re- release it at that time so this song called wide eyed and reckless um is both a like i think an homage to talking heads in the sense that it's like it's quick paced and doesn't have like a lot of the prettier vocals that sometimes avi would use and it has this sort of like menacing guitar line and has a bunch of weird percussion and um and has like this weird stopping point where you just clap. You know, there's like a lot of things that are just kind of fun and weird about it. And um, and I think it's like our most fun song to play live too because it's the most interactive. We'll have people clap or hit things. And, you know, it's like one of those things, reminders that music should be fun in addition to thoughtful and creative and everything. It should be fun. Yeah. If not fun should, I mean, fun should maybe be first. But fun should probably be first. Yeah. yeah. Your fourth song is Kema 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 by Kanaku ELT, right? And uh, you said this might be the whole reason, or maybe that album is the whole reason uh, that Mystery Friends even exists. Yeah, I mean, it's a little bit reductive to say it, but it's true. Like, um, I I was in Peru. My girlfriend is from Lima. And so I was there for the first time in 2015. Um, It was just a grouping of people, and I was talking to this guy who, turns out, was a musician. Got to talking, got to listening to his music, and it was this band. And I didn't know much about him or the music, but it came to quickly realize that we had a lot of the same influences. He, like, you know also liked David Bowie and Radiohead and Vampire Weekend and all these bands and his music, which he had just recorded and they put out this album, they're putting all these shows out. And I was like, wow, this guy who was my age just released this album, made all this music 
and he's doing a thing. You know, he was doing his thing that he wanted to do, and and he seemed to just be loving it. And I was I perfectly happy, like second year associate doing tax law, which is great. Um, <laughs> and I'm thrilling. still still doing tax law. Yes. <laughs> but, but you know, I I and I was playing recreational league baseball at the time, which I'm much worse at baseball than music. And so I think I was like, you know, I'm spending my non-law time. Maybe I should maybe I should, should put up the cleats and try playing music again. And it was a very good decision. And then after I came back from Peru, um, that was r- roughly when we had this conversation with these two friends about we should play this music. You have a guitar. I have a guitar. Why don't we try this? And it kind of, you know, put a fire on me to actually do it rather than just talk about it. And then it took a while to actually get anywhere with it. But it had to start somewhere. It, absolutely. So your final selection is JJ by Priests, which is a DC band. Yes. And it helped rekindle your love of music and uh, inspired you to do like a deep dive into DC. Yeah, totally. Okay. So how did you hear this song? So I think this song came out as a single, I want to say fall of 2016, Mm -hmm. roughly around the same time that Mystery Friends kind of started getting it together. We had played here and there and we had started practicing more regularly, started circulating songs and it was actually becoming a tangible thing. And that was also when I started like, you know, exploring what are our, if we wanted to play, and that took me in this deep rabbit hole about all these DC bands and venues. And I was a little bit aware of DC music. I mean, I knew of Fugazi and knew of go-go music, but mm-hmm. I didn't really know like the wealth of music that we have here right now too. And so Priest was kind of an it band in some ways. I remember, I think I heard it on like All Songs Considered or something. And um, and then I was like, wow, I really, really like this. And I listened to some of their older stuff, which is a little more on the punk side. Mm-hmm. The new stuff is a little more, I don't know what you call it necessarily but um you know driving rock or something Mm -hmm. but um it took me uh that let me explore all kinds of stuff about the dc music scene all the venues all the different bands all the genres there's so much music here it's not just punk music too oh yeah and it was a and it was like a revelation so i i started just like consuming this stuff ravenously and priests i still have a special place in my heart because they're like the man that I associate with this like musical awakening in DC. And I also love the music. They're great. It's like, you know, the the style of guitar that they use is a kind of star style that I probably do worse, but same idea of like jangly, a little surfy, um, not a lot of chords, you know, just that sort of lead guitar, lead mm-hmm. bass, vocals, drums. Using a lot of different pedals and Yeah, I whatnot. think so a lot of different pedals and not not necessarily your conventional um use of a guitar, which I think actually is also in all these songs I've been playing, mm-hmm. is that, you know, not necessarily being tied to their traditional use. So that the style was appealing to me and the song is really fun, but it, it was also like, you know, part of this larger discovery of DC music and post-punk and new wave and all that stuff. Thank you so much, Dave, of course. Uh, for coming on the show today. It's my pleasure. Uh, tell us a little bit about how the listeners can find Mystery Friends online, where we might be able to see you sure. next. Um, so we are on, you know, Spotify and Bandcamp and all the places you would expect to find us on. Um, we are we have just pressed our first vinyls, which is very exciting. Ooh! Now, is it the standard black vinyl? Or are you doing like the clear vinyl this that Madonna's is a, it's doing? It's an ivory vinyl. An ivory vinyl. Yeah. See, I'm glad I asked. Yeah. Um, okay. And the the it's for the first album, the album um, that we just put out, and so it's going to be Past and Future Self is the album. I really wanted to get a vinyl. I'm not sure if it's going to be cost effective, but we're doing it. Who cares? It. <laughs> Who cares? Who really cares? Yeah, well, put but, it on your wall. Yeah. If, if, if being a music was about being cost effective, then we have no, been doing it wrong no, for two years. <laughs> so, so is everybody yeah. else except for like, yeah, like 0.02% yeah. of fans. Yeah. So um, well, we will have them and people should buy them because vinyls are great. And then we also, it's worth noting for our album, we really took consideration on the side A and side B. Like the purpose of the song was really intentional. The break was really intentional. And we really wanted to have side A and B be different experiences. 
Um, so side A is much more lively, much more. It's essentially in this hypothetical relationship this person is having in the album is in a, in a good place. And side B, they are not. And so it's supposed to also have like a, a purpose. So if you buy the record, you can see what we were doing. So sort of like the party and then like after the party. The come down, yeah. Yeah. Oh. So the song Low, which you heard earlier, is the not the happy part. Right. But see right through. They're doing great. Okay. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm going to need to get that on, yeah. on vinyl. Yeah. Very exciting. Um, well, thank you for listening, and be sure to tune in next week when we sit down with another D.C. area musician to talk about the top five songs that made them who they are. Mm-hmm.